Welcome to Creative Confidential. I'm Jude Kempfner. Today we have a form of art making which isn't usually talked very much about, but that we see every day and don't appreciate enough. Food styling. Lisa Homer is a consummate professional in this craft and has agreed to take us behind the scenes. She's based in Philadelphia, which is a foodie haven with loads of fresh produce and culinary influences. Lisa, I read you are of Italian and Ukrainian descent. Was the way the table was laid and the food displayed when you were growing up a crucial influence? Absolutely. Both of my grandparents were terrific cooks, both sides, Ukrainian and uh, the Italian. What was put on the table was with the freshest, with the utmost respect. I mean, you wouldn't dare say, for instance, an Italian grandmother, you wouldn't dare. She wouldn't dare put a a salt shaker on the table or a salt cell because it was seasoned properly and the way it should be. And although they were of modest means, they had two kitchens. So food was a priority. They had a very small yard, but it was the whole entire yard. And this is, you hear this commonly with Italian descent. And this, this was with the Ukrainian side as well, but a large majority of that was planted with produce and grapevine. What uh, were the for, two kitchens for? Well, you know, certain things were prepared in the back kitchen and then other things were prepared in the front kitchen, which you also had a big dining table. So I think, you know, if you were making pasta or if you were cleaning meat or you were doing anything that was a little bit more intensely hands-on, it was probably done back in that back kitchen. Now, I was very, very young when my grandparents passed, but I, I remember it vividly. The Ukrainian side, for some reason, with all of these older Ukrainian women, they seem very old. I think it was just they were from the old world. <laughs> They were probably much younger than I am now, (laughs) but I was, you know, probably eight years old and I used to go with them and make the pierogi that they would, you know, sell to benefit the church. And there weren't any other kids running around there making pierogies. (laughs) And the same thing with my mother. My mother was a phenomenal cook, unlike uh, many of her siblings who really wanted to assimilate and, um, Americanized their Italian cuisine. She just loved the Mediterranean European culture of the food. So we were eating things when we were young that people didn't see. I grew up outside of Philadelphia and we would go down to the Italian market and get, you know, roast pork and good cured vegetables and marinated olives and mushrooms and bread right out of the baker's oven and cured meats. And it was a wonderful, we would go up to uh, the Amish country and get eggs and cheese. And we, you know, so food was just a very big part of our culture. When I was young, you didn't really see people eating broccoli raw, but we did. We picked the dandelion greens before they flowered out in the yard. We would eat the fish with the head on because it was more flavorful. But all of these things that have become more in vogue now, 
were not when I was young, but we did that. Um, wow. Oh, I'm yeah. so glad I asked you that question. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that, that was such a I'm so sorry. Important. No, I got a little excited brilliant. there. <laughs> no. You talked about the wealth of produce and the incredible passion for cooking. What about the passion for artistically displaying it? Was that something that was important? It always was important. When I was younger, I sort of jumped around in college. I started out with art history. I ended up marketing and advertising, um, but I always stayed in graphic arts and the visual end of, of that. While I didn't continue in fine art, I did stay in where I was viewing transparencies uh, to be reproduced in magazines, say architectural record or something like that. I would look at them and view them for color, highlights, shadows, whatever would make them reproduce its pre-press, whatever would make them reproduce in the optimal way. So I've always had a hand in that sort of thing. And when I came to New York, I discovered there was such a thing as food styling for photography. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to be able to combine the visual and the culinary? I did find that I would have to go back to culinary school. So while I was working uh, in the evening, I pursued a culinary degree. It was Peter Kumpf's New York Cooking School at the time, uh, which is now ICE. in The in Institute of Culinary of Cul Education? Yes, in Manhattan. And I was fortunate to have terrific educators there. James Peterson, I think he wrote what we consider the Bible on sauces, French sauces, all types of sauces, actually. Um, fish, vegetables, you know, he, he was... Excellent. Um, but I had uh, quite a few great instructors there. So I was fortunate in that. We did have a, a pastry as aspect of the curriculum, but I also went and because I know that there is a real science to that and it is very difficult. I did work in a pastry kitchen on the weekends. It was the Royalton, which was very hot at that time in Midtown on 44th Street. That was a great experience. And then I just took other fine cake techniques and, you know, <laughs> in case I had a job, you know, like I did, I did have jobs where I did cakes that were on the covers of magazines. And it could be anything from a bride's magazine to country living to Bon Appetit or gourmet. Uh, so, you know, you just really, when you're in food styling, as far as the food goes, you don't know what you are going to be asked to make, but you really do need to have a strong culinary background. Okay. So give me a typical assignment. Well, there's so many different types of jobs. My website has a wide variety of them, but it could be anything from a cookbook. And these are all handled very differently. It could be an advertisement for, I did one not too long ago for um, JetBlue and the restaurant Dig In. It could be a drink shoot for Patron. It could be something for advertising. A company just asked me about doing something and it's, it's going to be a cookie shoot for, I don't know who it's for yet, but I imagine that it might be for someone like a butter company. It could be for King Arthur Flower. It could be for 
Garibaldi chocolate. Uh, you know, it could be for toll house. I have no idea yet. I will. <laughs> and then it could be for packaging. It could be for on a product package. It could also just be for purely for marketing and advertising, uh, which could be print advertising. It could be anything from a billboard to on their website or social media. So those types of things are very common. It seems like it's an incredibly skilled occupation. Um, not only do you have to be able to cook to perfection, but you have to arrange the food so that it will not melt under lighting. It will stay and look perfect. What kinds of tricks of the trade can you share with us? Okay. Well, there are, like I mentioned before, a very wide variety of shoots. So if it's for, for a cookbook, we would do it very naturally. I did an ice cream book for an author and the whole book was ice cream and it was all real ice cream. It was all very high quality ice cream. So high fat content melted very, very quickly. So it was a matter of getting scoops ready or if it was a cake or something else that was made out of the ice cream may have been a dessert that had ice cream in it as one of the ingredients, we might have to just get it ready, put it in the freezer, maybe even put it on dry ice so that it's nice and hard and then bring it out and let the photographer and the team. So there would be a photographer and a prop stylist. The prop stylist would bring the surface that you're shooting on, maybe any linens, napkins, cups, glasses, bowls. I would get that bowl or vessel from them and have it ready um, and tell them I'm going to have it out there in 10 minutes <laughs> so that they're prepared to shoot it very quickly. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes you're shooting, not always, not often for advertising or marketing, but for a cookbook, you're often shooting in natural light. So it's just, it's just done quickly. And people now appreciate seeing melts and drips and that sort of thing. I did an advertising shoot for the company that delivers food to homes, which is very common. Now people order food and they, it's groceries and it's delivered. And they wanted to show that they, they deliver it so quickly that ice cream wouldn't melt. So they asked me to make fake ice cream instead of real ice cream. And shoot that so that we could show that they were just perfect scoops of ice cream that hadn't melted and were delivered. <laughs> so wow, I, had a, I had a recipe <laughs> for that, that I learned from my mentor, which involves things that you really wouldn't want to eat. If I was shooting an advertisement for Haagen-Dazs ice cream, I would have to use Haagen-Dazs ice cream. But because this advertisement was for, I think it was Jet uh, Delivery Company, I could use fake ice cream. So what, what went into the fake ice cream? Can you give us a clue? Yeah, sure. It's, um, like I said, not things you'd want to eat. It was Crisco, the white heart. Cooking fat. Yep. fat cooking fat. Caro syrup. So that made it look chocolatey? No. Caro okay. syrup is, cl well, clear caro syrup. Okay. Clear caro syrup, Crisco, and the other main ingredient is confectioner sugar and Whirl those together in a processor to a certain consistency. And when you scoop it, it gets the ridges and looks, if you do it right, there's a technique to it. It looks very much like real ice cream. You can put the little ruffle around the 
you know, that you would have on a cone uh, of ice cream. Um, you, and you would just color it. Like if I wanted it to be vanilla, I could put vanilla bean specks in it. I could add a little bit of maybe uh, a little bit of yellow margarine, not anything that would melt like butter, but just to give it a little bit of an off-white color. So you can, color, you know, I could put cocoa in it if I wanted it to be chocolate. So, you know, that sort of thing. So color, you would color it to look like the real, you know, it's another thing that is similar to that is turkeys for Thanksgiving spreads. They might have to sit out there for a while. It might be a whole table full of food that's getting set. It may be talent that they have people interacting at a table that they're shooting. So they might have to sit out there all day long. So typically, you know, you take the turkey, you cook it maybe half an hour instead of three hours or two hours, and then you would paint it. And that's where the color background comes in handy because I'm thinking about what's going to make that perfect chestnut brown sort of turkey that came out of the oven. So there's a little bit of yellow, there's a little bit of brown, there's a little bit of red, you know, so you're using things like soy sauce, kitchen bouquet, uh, Angostura bitters, maybe a little bit of yellow food coloring, just a jerk touch. And you do have to put a little bit of soap in there so it sticks to the greasy skin. <laughs> wow. Cuts, cuts, <laughs> cuts the grease. So, but, you know, we are often doing things just very naturally. What would too. you put on that turkey covering to make it look like it's kind of glowing and glossy? Well, then you would just, so you would brush the whole thing. You would make some of it darker, some of it lighter so that it looked real, realistic. Mm. You know, the legs would be darker, the breast would be a little bit lighter, you know, that sort of thing. You don't want it to look too uniform. And then you can, you can brush it with, I might brush it with a little bit of seasoning, something that you might put on a turkey, and then brush it with just a, lightly with a little bit of oil, vegetable oil or olive oil. You would touch it up during the day, just like a makeup artist would touch up a face. Yeah, maybe touch it up with a little bit of oil if it starts to get dry. And that goes for any meat, really. Um, if you do a burger, I think there's a burger shot on my website and some steak shots. They were probably touched up with a little bit of oil, so they look like they were just cooked mm. because they do get dry quickly. But in fact, they're totally undercooked. <laughs> they, they, they may be very undercooked. Yeah, You would get quite <laughs> sick if you ate them. Yes. For a cookbook, we are cooking all of the food for real. And we're typically not doing any tricks. I might spritz some vegetables with a little bit of water just so that they're a little more alive looking or maybe brush some meat with a little bit of oil, but pretty much making everything for real and also so that people can take it home and enjoy it and eat it, you know, which is nice too. So we're not just throwing it all out. <laughs> a kind of change like for a cookbook then there's more reality for an advert if it doesn't mention a precise product you can be as imaginative as you like right you might be say for instance i i have a cookie shoot coming up 
if it's chocolate chips involved, I will be adding some chocolate chips at the end of the baking process so that there are some that are sticking up and can be heated and look hot and glisteny and melty. Yeah, so there are things that we do, even if it was a cookbook or a magazine shoot or, you know, there are things that we do, even though we're using the real food to make it look appetizing. Um, first of all, you're building the plate of whatever it is, um, whether it be a salad or you're building it for a certain camera angle. If you think it's something that should be shot overhead because it's a very graphic looking piece, you're thinking about that when you build it. If it's a sandwich or a hamburger or something like that, you would want to shoot it more eye level, more of a 90 degree angle and look into it. You really wouldn't want to shoot it overhead because then you're just going to be looking at bread. Uh, <laughs> you know? So, you know, you would collect. So you want to the- eyeball the filling. You want to look into it. Yes. We all take food photos now. I mean, and Instagram mm-hmm. them. Um, and I think we're often disappointed because mm-hmm. what we can see in front of us on our plate isn't actually what we get in the shot. Um, I was in Santa Fe not long ago, sitting outdoors, and the restaurant had made the, the fruit beautiful on a plate of uh, blue corn pancakes. And um, I thought they were very exotic, and I wanted to take a photo of it, and it just didn't come across. Is that like the irony that when you take a real photo, it's not as good as when you actually dress it up? Yeah, I have worked with um, many chefs and have done cookbooks for them as well as done um, marketing and publicity photos in their restaurants where they're not making the food. They're hiring a food stylist because they know that a food stylist can uh, optimally prepare the food to be photographed. Although they are excellent chefs, they're used to preparing the food to be plated for someone to eat. And it's two different things. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. You had the fact that you were in natural light. You were outside, you said. It might have been too much light, though. Right. Oftentimes, people will ask me, what can I do to take a better Instagram shot? And I say, well, for one thing, don't take it at night. Try to take it in the morning or in the afternoon when you have daylight. And if you could take it closer to a window so that it has some natural light hitting it, that's very appealing. Food loves that as opposed to artificial light. And really, like I said, thinking about the angle that would be best for that particular shot. Are there any things you try and avoid? My mother had this rule and it was totally like folksy to never have three courses of the same color. Mm, I agree with that completely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You're always thinking about incorporating textures, different colors, different layers. Your mother probably would not serve, you know, two puree courses in a row. Maybe if you had something that was a puree and cold, you might have something that was warm and textured. And, or if you served something that had shellfish in one course, it might be uh, meat in the next course. But uh, I think that we're always thinking about that, how to incorporate different layers of color texture. Do you feel that in advertising, 
there used to be more tricks and that that is frowned upon more now. I read that in the days of the heydays of Mad Men on Madison Avenue, when they did drinks and martini ads, which they did so often, they would write sex on an ice cube. I don't know how they did it, but the idea was that subliminally you would take in that word when you look at the picture. Is that a myth? That's probably true. I don't, you know, I don't recall ever doing anything like that, but I think probably (laughs) that there were an era of food stylists before I came along and, you know, there was the marbles and the Campbell soup fiasco. Uh, That was, that's sort of one of these known situations that came up where they put marbles in the soup bowl to bring up the level of the vegetables or the pasta that was in the soup so that it could show perfectly. And they were caught doing it. And it was a breach of advertising protocol that was established. And so uh, the few vegetables that were in the tin kind of rose to the surface. Yes. Yes. Now, like I said, if we, if we weren't advertising, you know, Campbell's soup, we could do that, <laughs> but they were. Yeah. Um, so you, you, it does not mean that you will not spend a half a day or have an assistant spending a half a day looking for the perfect vegetables in, you know, 20 cans of soup. So there are, are more rules now, but there are still tricks. There are still tricks. There could be a bed of instant mashed potatoes underneath there. <laughs> no. Wow. What, what do you think is one of the hallmarks of your specific style? I think that I have a very pleasing sort of painterly approach to a lot of the, the dishes that I uh, create for, for the camera. I think you could probably say that looking at my portfolio compared to many other food stylists' portfolio an aesthetic approach, the way leaves of lettuce are laid on the plate and the way different textures and colors are mingled together. And I think you could probably tell someone did it that has some sort of artistic eye. And there may be some food stylists that have come from strictly a culinary background and they may not have that sensibility. The other thing that I also do these things very quickly, where it might take another stylist. There are plenty of food stylists out there that have a a more creative artistic sensibility. Um, Paul Grimes is someone that I think of when I think of that. There are quite a few people. I think your graphic design background must really help. So just to make it clear, it's important for a food stylist to have a culinary background. It isn't crucial for them to have an art background. It obviously helps for them to have both, but they don't have to be a photographer. That is correct. You do find now a lot of people that are shooting for um, just their own Instagram sites and becoming food influencers and getting cookbook deals out of that, that sort of thing, that they are the photographer and the food stylist now. Uh, Which is a little bit threatening. Yeah, yeah. For photographers. It it is for photographers. We still have, there is a lot of food work out there. Um, So you still have plenty of work, it seems, for everyone. Because that person that is shooting for Instagram and doing that food styling for Instagram 
is a very different beast than, say, myself or um, a very experienced food photographer. On the set, you have a, a lighting person, a photographer, a set decorator, the food stylist, and a couple of assistants. Is that right? The lighting person would be the photographer. They would have someone um, that is sitting at a computer that may have to do um, photo retouching. If we get a great shot and it just happens to have, you know, a chip in the front of the plate that they don't want there, they'll just quickly retouch that out. Um, so often they will have someone that is, you know, and the, the images have to um, be processed that's just part of the photography end of it. So there is usually the photographer, they're the ones dealing with the lighting, setting up the camera, the focus, all of that. And they will have someone working tech. Sometimes it, that is one person, the photographer. And then the prop stylist, like you said, the set decorator, taking care of uh, all of the surfaces you're shooting on, backgrounds, surfaces, plates, napkins, bowls, spoons, anything, vases, flowers, you know, anything like that, that's non-food. And then there are the food people. And we purchase the food, review the recipes, cook the food, and then style the food. If it's a small shoot, I might be able to do that myself. If it's a larger shoot, I will have an assistant actually cooking the food. I might give them direction about how I want it done, that maybe I want this seared, not too much, one side so it doesn't dry out, you know, that sort of thing. Um, give, and they'll just give me sheet trays of, you know, beautiful lettuce that's been soaked in a bowl and certain herbs that maybe are in a bowl of water so they're refreshing and lively the meat at the very last minute or the fish, but it might be covered with damp towels or, you know, just they'll have everything there for me. So I can take that and have it right at my fingertips and look at it and look at all of those colors, textures, shapes, sizes, (laughs) and look at the dish or bowl that I'm putting this in or platter and think about very quickly how I'm going to do this and do it you know, like I said, as quickly as I can so that the food doesn't die. Food has a moment. And if it's left sitting out there too long, it doesn't look as good as when it's first built. So the object is to do it, do it in an appealing way (laughs) out of the gate. (laughs) Do you ever eat it afterwards? Absolutely. I do try to, we try to, and I will tell people, you know, because they might not think to put in the seasoning because why? <laughs> but I always say just season it <laughs> because that way people can eat. I hate to waste the food, you know? So I always, if we can eat it or people can take it home or, you know, there's plenty of people there. And if it's good, it's good food and, you know, let's, let's take it and eat it. And sometimes we'll have it for lunch. <laughs> Do you ever sit around afterwards and just celebrate what you've just done and break bread together? We do that. Well, we usually do that the last day of a shoot, you know, wine involved or (laughs) champagne or something and uh, things that we have, you know, made and yeah. And we wait till the, the last day, 
because we're tired at the end of a work day knowing that we have to get back there the next day. You're thinking all day long and thinking about how you're going to do these things and everybody's watching the food stylist to see what they're going to do. And it's actually a little more, more pressure than you think it is. <laughs> yeah, no, it I might just look, yeah, it may just look like, oh, she's just throwing some food on a plate and boom, but you're thinking about all of those elements of the plate that I mentioned. Yeah, because if you and, miss that magic moment, mm-hmm, then you've got to start all over again. Exactly, which does happen. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does happen. I can tell you sh- shots from my in, that are in my portfolio that, you know, that one was immediate. That one was the second one around. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Didn't quite work the first time. <laughs> Is there any music that you like to play on set to get in the mood, um, to calm down? I have sort of an eclectic taste in music. I like things from the Allman Brothers, Sweet Melissa, to Sunny Stitt, Cool Mambo, to, I don't know, the Carolina Chocolate Drops, to Etta James. Yeah, I do like jazz a lot. I don't know. I have a son who's 18, so there's a little bit of his influence. What might that be? Mm, What would be something of his? His would be maybe, I mean, this would be years ago, but like Gnarls Barkley, Crazy, Mad Con, Lizzo, (laughs) you know, all that. (laughs) What about the jazz influence? My father was into jazz. My Two of my older siblings, my brother Jack and my sister Pat, were big music people. My brother Jack is a big jazz fan. So I think that came from him. There was a lot of great jazz in Philadelphia, and I grew up outside of Philly. So I remember, you know, going downtown to music venues a lot. Probably that influence. Like, I remember seeing Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers growing up uh, at a place called the Bijou Cafe in Philly that was a wonderful jazz club. So I think we've covered a lot and I think it's really quite a revelation for people who don't know that your profession exists. And it's lovely to know that there's work out there, that it's still very competitive, but there are opportunities. And I think people will look at images of food in a different way after hearing you, which is great. Uh, This was such a pleasure and so nice to reconnect with you. Thanks for um, reaching out. Can you tell people where they can find you? You mentioned your website. Can you just give that on there? Yes, lisahoma.com, L-I-S-A-H-O-M-A.com. That is also lisa at lisahoma.com is my email. So I think if you go to my website, you will find my email. But that I think is the, the best way to reach me. Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks, Judith. 
Thanks for listening to Creative Confidential. I'm Jude Kampfner, podcaster and coach. If you'd like my help or you know somebody who should be on the show, please get in touch. You can email me at jude at judekampfner.com. Our theme music is by Gene Pritzker and our producer is Mark McDonald from Birkdale Media. See you next week.